The Yesterday and Today podcast is a fan-made, not-for-profit, just-for-fun compilation of chronological source materials as they pertain to the Beatles. The show is in no way affiliated with Apple Corps, nor any organization connected to John, Paul, George, or Ringo in any way, though we do consider ourselves premier members of the Bungalow Bill fan club. So kick back, turn off your mind, relax, and download the stream. We hope you will enjoy the show. Yesterday and Today, 1973, Part 5. In this episode, we will cover May 28th through June 29th. If you live near Nottingham Town and things keep on bringing you down, don't fear, don't fear that you may be going potty man tune your dial to Radio Nottingham. They've got the jolliest tunes and all their announcers are cool, so please. Take heed what I say, Radio Nuts is a okay. Feeling low? Get Nottingham. Well, listeners, I really did try. Oh, he did. I went to Apple headquarters and I said, Please let me have a copy of the new Paul McCartney single. And they said, It's not released yet. And I just broke down and cried. <laughs> However, it was on television last week. I didn't know whether you saw the Paul McCartney program and he sang it there. Oh, just too much. And I just remember how it goes, so I'm going to sing it myself. <coughs> Bit of echo. <coughs> oh. No. Oh. an open book you used to say live and let live you know you did you know you did you know you did oh isn't that beautiful oh it's gonna sell a million copies when it eventually does come out and i'm gonna buy every one of them personally i think it's his best one since hey jude hey jude hey jude hey on May 30th in America, Apple Records release a new LP titled Living in the Material World by George Harrison. Can I have three cheers, please, for George Harrison's guitar solo on the front of his new record? Hooray, 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 hooray! But that's four cheers. Hold Carlton! Life, keep me free 
George Harrison, the greatest guitarist in the world, and that is Give Me Love. On the Living in the Material World cover photo, George flashes a mystic palm at the public. And though the title track seems a put-down of earthly goods, George gets back to basic Beatle problems with this reflection on the ongoing courtroom drama. We also went through all them periods where everybody was suing each other, and there was a lot of aggravation went on. We tended to get caught up in all that side of it.
This record is a follow-up to George's critically acclaimed All Things Must Pass LP. The musicians on the album are old friends. We have Nicky Hopkins and Gary Wright on keyboards, Klaus Foreman on bass, Jim Keltner, Jim Gordon, and Ringo Starr on drums, George on acoustic and electric guitar, Jim Horn on sax and flutes, Zakir Hussein on tabla, and George's musical arranger, John Barham, on strings. There are songs that address the Beatles' legacy on this album, whether they be direct references or indirect. This next song reflects Harrison's stated desire to live in the present, free from his former identity.
to be a far-off goal to this album, a shining light that Harrison isn't quite able to see yet, but his impatience shows through. Beatles changed the most, but really that's what I see life is about. The point is, unless you're God conscious, then you have to change because it's a waste of time. Everybody is so limited and so really useless when you think of, about the limitations on yourself. And the whole thing is to change, try and make everything better and better. And that's what the physical world is about: is change.
to become Beetle George. But uh, it doesn't really matter who you are or what you are because um, that's only a temporary sort of tag for a limited sort of period of years.
Side 2 opens with a song that carries a simple message on karma. I feel now that whatever I give, uh, I get it back, you know. It's like there's an old proverb that says, the smile you give out comes back threefold, and it's true, you know. If you can raise a smile, you do tend to get two or three back, mm. which enables you to give six or seven back, and you get 15 back. Mm. But if you kick somebody in the behind, there's a good chance somebody going to hit you on the head with his gun. That's karma.
Though the LP was full of great performances, many people were turned off by its preaching. The only thing that is existing is the now. And so now I'm here, and the next minute I'll be wherever I am next minute.
The next song George wrote for Ronnie Spector. It is about his searching for answers in life. When we took the notorious wonder drug LSD, it was, uh, we didn't know we were having it. John and I had this drug. We were having dinner with our dentist and he put it in our coffee and never told us. And we'd never, we never heard of it. I mean, it's a good job we hadn't heard of it because there's been so much uh, paranoia created around the drug that people now, if they take it, they're already on a bad trip before they start. Whereas for us, we didn't know anything. We were so naive. So we had it and we went out to a club and it was incredible. Way back in time, someone said try some, I tried some, now buy some.
I mean, I'm a part of creation just like the rest of you all. And uh, I get pushed and shoved around and tossed around like the rest of you all. And if you ever give a thought to why you're getting bashed about, it's usually because it's people like the presidents of the United States and our beloved Harold Wilson from Snotty Ash and all the people who control our lives to a certain degree. I mean, that's why we're fortunate that they can't get you after you're dead. At least the way out is they can get you all your life and they can impose the naive or ignorance upon you and they can make you pay, which is really what your life is about. It's like school, you know. I'm interested in wars and deaths and killings and murders to the degree that I would like to see it not there, you know. Mm. I try not to think too much about it because if I did, I'd be so depressed I wouldn't be able to sing some tunes. I believed in the thing that I read years ago, which I think was in the Bible. It said, 
knock and the door will be opened. And it's true. If you want to know anything in this life, you just have to knock on the door, whether that be some physically on somebody else's door and ask them a question, or which I was lucky to find is the meditation. Is you know, it's all within. The album, Living in the Material World. Although the album sold very well, a large buying public found it to be too religious and the critics bashed it. 
living in the material world, represented the onset of his waning powers. A cheerless, proselytizing mix of odes to Lord Krishna, in-jokes and dour reflections on the inner life of the then most respected former Beatle, it offered little of lasting melodic worth, save George's increasing mastery of slide guitar. On the back cover of the album Living in the Material World, George takes a jab at Paul's Red Rose Speedway LP back cover, whereas Paul alerts fans to join his Wings Fun Club. George alerts the public of a Jim Keltner fan club, stating for all information, send a stamped undressed elephant to 5112 Hollywood Boulevard, Hollywood, California. With the rising popularity of the new McCartney and Wings LP, Red Rose Speedway, the hunger for new Beatle product was high. Paul and Wings scored big with their new album, a curious collection of love lyrics and flawlessly produced songs that stayed in the top slots for weeks until getting nudged from number one by George Harrison's Living in the Material World in June and July. With George's album heading straight up the sales charts... On June 1st, Apple releases Live and Let Die by Wings. It was written for the James Bond film of the same title by Paul. Also released in June 1973 was Paul's successful soundtrack to Live and Let Die, a James Bond thriller that thrashed wildly to the wings appropriately action-packed track. George Martin helps him arrange and produce the session. Here Wings drummer Denny Sywell recalls. Live and Let Die just had more of a, uh, a little bit of everything in it. Uh, you know, the glitz and glamour of the movies, the little reggae, the... The ballads, er, er, that song just had a little bit of everything in it. And it was done in a heartbeat. It was like in and out of the studio in three hours. We, we knew the band, knew our parts. George wrote, wrote the uh, string, the orchestra parts. We recorded it live with the orchestra in, in Air London and George Martin studio. And did a couple of takes to make sure that all the notes were right. And then we did a couple of takes and that was it. We were in and out of there. They slammed vocals on there and mixed it up, and it was like done in a matter of three or four hours. And the engineer was a kid named Bill Price. I'll never forget this guy. In those days, I smoked a lot of cigarettes, but this cat, man, he just chain-smoked the whole session. He was something else, and uh, he, he was very good at what he did. George's studio was, was awesome. You know, the whole floor was a wood floor suspended on Austin car springs, the way I understand. So the floor didn't meet the wall. So it had this beautiful, it was a great room, and I was in a half-enclosed drum booth, and, and the orchestra was right in front of me. And so Ray Cooper over there with some timpani and congas. And it was the best of the best. First playback I heard I went, when we were just working on notes, I went, whoa. And it was very easy to mix because the guy knew what he was doing, and George was there, and the parts were all right. It was a tremendous effort. Much like the Beatles song, A Day in a Life, Live and Let Die was a combination of two songs the main song written by Paul, while the middle reggae bit was written by Linda. The reggae section in the middle has to do with the location of the film, and it gave Paul a chance to prove again he could capture the feel as well as any non-Jamaican musician. When you were young and your heart was an open book You used to say ever-changing world in which we're living makes you give in and cry 
Say live and let die It is interesting to note that when George Martin took the finished song to the James Bond music producer Harry Saltzman, he presumed that it was just merely a demo guide track recording. Martin insisted that this was the finished product, so the song remained. But Mr. Saltzman hired Brenda Arnau to sing the song for the film's soundtrack. The B-side of the single was called I Lie Around. It was a song recorded in the fall of 1970 at Columbia Studios in New York during the Ram Sessions. It features Denny Lane on lead vocals.
over the place On June 2nd, 
the Wings single My Love, and the album Red Rose Speedway both reached number one in the U.S. record charts. On June 3rd, John and Yoko attend the International Feminist Planning Conference at Harvard University, where they give an interview to Danny Schechter. Lo and behold, John and Yoko surface in Cambridge, not at all deported from the United States. What, what uh, are you doing here? I guess we should do that for starters, Yoko. Well, I'm uh, here because I'm a woman, and uh, it's just I'm very interested to meet other sisters, you know. And meeting is really a very important thing. It's better than writing a thousand words, you know, it's like sort of, it's important. And, and it was very exciting, a matter of fact, you know. I got a lot out of it, I think. What, uh, what, what did you get out of it? What have the sessions been like? This, uh... I found that women are very powerful and uh, they have sort of immense power that's hidden in them. They had to hide it in this society because it's a male society and they were taught to hide their power. They were taught to look helpless and all that, you know. And now they're sort of bringing it out. And one thing I want to say to the, the brothers is that um, don't be scared or don't be threatened by the power that we're bringing out. John, in the women's movement, as it were, or the feminist, kind of feminist ideas? Well, my involvement started when I met Yoko. Although at that time there was no word for it, feminism, you know? But it was two artists living together. And she happened to be female. And she wanted equal time, you know, equal space. And that started a sort of dialogue between us, which went on and on, and then the sort of woman's movement came out around the just about a year or two after we'd met and it was sort of naturally related to it and uh, i think it's there are what quotes conservatives here but there are the fringe groups too who are saying is this important to be here with these conservatives or liberals or whatever you call them and but they're all here you know and it, the point about this thing is it's the first international feminist conference and in that way, it's historic and important, the fact that they're all trying. One, two, three, four! you before about the Beatles as a slip because I said I wasn't going to ask you. I said to myself before I started, oh, one thing I'm not going to ask him about is about the Beatles, but everybody, uh, you know, is buzzing with all these uh, rumors, rumors and stuff about people getting back together again, um, singing again, doing an album. Uh, John Lennon spotted in Los Angeles at Ringo Starr, uh, this sort of uh, taping, um, you know, uh, album session, this sort of thing. What, what is happening on that front? Well, you see, had we all still been living in London, we probably would, 
been on each other's sessions. Like uh, the first album I put out on my own, I had no title, which is a nuisance. <laughs> Uh, John Lennon, Plastic on a Band. Well, George was on that, or was it Ringo? And then George is on Imagine. You know, whoever was around was on. You know, there's no... When, when the Beatles, quote, split, it didn't mean to say that we'd never play in each other's sessions or anything. But then I moved here, so there was less of that. And I think uh, there was a lot going on between George and Ringo and Klaus and Nielsen and everybody's goofing off in London. But it just so happened the three of us were in L.A., and Ringo was doing a session, and it was natural for us all to go down to the session, you know. I mean, uh, I don't live in the sessions as much as, uh, say, George and Ringo do, or Nielsen, and there's a whole gang of them that just sort of international London and L.A. and whatever. Now Jamaica. And Jamaica, they just, they, they live in the studio, practically, you know. You'd, I mean, when we were down there, there was Chris Christopherson, Jim Keltner, I think he was working. Just everybody, you know, it just goes on and on. And that's how they live all the time. So they're always on each other's session. I don't do it so much, but I was there, and it was natural to go to the session. And, of course, that was three of us, and it had been a few years, and, and it starts, and the radio station rings the record uh, place, the recording studio, and says, are they there? And he says, well, some of them are. You know, and that was the start of the whole ball game again. But it's, it's not, uh, there's no uh, plans uh, officially now to uh, reunite. It's when the Marx Brothers get together again, then the Beatles will get together again. Just in, let me finish. Okay. Just imagine how it would be. Uh, it's using the birds get together is, is, is probably not too relevant. But, you know, just anybody who thinks about it or wants it, just imagine the Beatles getting together again. Whatever they did would not be good enough because everybody has this incredible dream about how it was in the 60s you know and by the time it gets to the 80s it'll be even bigger but it'll, it would never be the same it, whatever we did would never be good enough it could never be the same you know it, it's just a dream it's a real dream which i think uh, someone once said is over yeah right i, I was i added an amendment to that the dream's over but we haven't woke up yet also in the beginning of june while researching his book the man who gave the Beatles away, the group's former manager, Alan Williams, acquires the infamous but historical reel-to-reel -reel tapes of the Beatles' live performances at the Star Club in Hamburg. They were recorded by Ted Taylor of King Size Taylor and the Dominoes on December 31, 1962. Teddy Taylor, now chopping up meat for a living in a Southport supermarket, once led his own beat group, King Size Taylor and the Dominoes. They sold a million records on the continent, but never hit the big time here. Teddy is happy enough, but he would have liked a few quid in the bank after all those hard days nights banging out rock in tatty clubs, and then missing out on the Mersey beat craze of the 60s. Well, now Teddy has had some luck. It's just possible after all these years that he might get his just reward. It's a tape recording. It's quite an old one. We put it on a new spool. This recording is unique. It's the first and only copy of the Beatles playing live. Teddy owns it, and it could make his fortune out of the beat business at last. This tape could be worth millions. It's a unique recording of the Beatles as they were before they hit the big time. It's the only one in existence. And it came about when I was in Hamburg, and uh, we were playing at the same time as the Beatles there, and we used to use a a tape recorder to find the levels. This is in 1962, Christmas Eve, this one was made. And what happened? 
uh, well, we had this tape recorder set up at the time, and um, it was just left running throughout the night. Everybody was on it, uh, all the old bands from the time. And uh, when we came to sort it out later on, we finished up with about two and a quarter hours of the Beatles on it, you know. I was playing it in a, a studio in Liverpool, which my friend owned, and it just got left there for about five or six years. In fact, it never even crossed my mind until I happened to mention it to Alan Williams. Enter Alan Williams, a bankrupt nightclub owner, a pint-sized Welsh Liverpudlian with a thirst to make his fortune. He set out to find the missing tape, and his search brought him here to a back street in Liverpool. Well, we eventually trace the tapes to this building, which is in Hacking's Hay, which is coming down shortly. Uh, five years ago, there was a recording studio here, and the tapes were left there. The recording studio was closed. And when we eventually found uh, the person who had the studio, we came back here, broke in, because this was uh, the only possibility where the tapes could be. And what happened? You went upstairs? We went upstairs, broke in, and there were the tapes covered in five years' dust. Where were they? Just lying on the table there. No wonder Alan Williams has a vested interest in the newly discovered Beatles tape. He and King Size now have one last chance to salvage something out of their failure to make their fortunes from the Mersey sound. Right, now Alan, what's so special about that tape? Well, apart from its historical value, uh, Ringo had just joined the group. I think it was Ringo's first professional job with the Beatles. And this was the Beatles sound before they actually hit the big time. It's the greatest thing I've ever heard them do. Why? Because it is them in their raw, uh, with no edges sort of cut or any studio tricks and things like that. That is the pure Beatles playing rock and roll. Now, what's it worth? Well, you know, the mind boggles to what it is worth. I mean, nobody likes talking in telephone figures and things like that, but it's estimated if this is, goes out as a Beatles album, well, it could be any, anything, 8 million, 10 million, 20 million pounds. As much as that? As much as that. Well, an, an LP uh, is two pound. Now, the minimum sale that one would expect throughout the world well, must be about 8 million copies sold. I must confess, having heard a bit of it, that um, the reproduction isn't all that hot, is it? I mean, you can't hear their voices as distinctly as you would on, of course. on a record. <laughs> you say that. It's, it's marvellous. Well, no, it's true. I mean, the, the reproduction isn't as good as it could be. So what could you do to get around that? Well, the whole point yeah. is, the thing is, the condition it was done under, this is something that must be got over to the public. Uh, the, the fact, conditions. The fact of, of the conditions that it was done on it's a live show done between two and four o'clock in the morning. Mm. But Nobody was at their best, you know, and I think the people would appreciate this. What has been the major difficulty then that um, you faced in getting this marketed? The major difficulty is that people were, um, record companies were frightened, it appeared, to touch it because of uh, the legal aspect, uh, copyrights and... Uh, whether we were um, legally, you know, involved to be able to do this. Well, you eventually managed to get to the Beatles. We you? eventually got right to the top to the Beatles, and I had a fantastic meeting with uh, Ringo and George. We, ha we hadn't met for five years, and we were there for four hours talking about old times. George finished giving me a present for battle of about 16 rubies, uncut rubies, 
and all sorts of little things like on the tape there, God bless you, Alan. And they liked the idea of it, and they said, sure. Somewhere along the line, they felt that it could be used, but they want four copies, one for each, and they will sort of dress it up and present it to Paul and John. Uh, at the moment, they're going through difficulties of their own. And as soon as this is sorted out, then we hope to have this out. So if the Beatles, in fact, say yes, then uh, you're both going to be quite rich men, aren't you? I hope so. Yes, I hope so, uh, sincerely. It couldn't happen to nicer people. What would you do with the money? Apart from buying a yacht and a rose, uh, <laughs> that's no problem what we're going to do with the money. And, uh, and I think I would uh, commission uh, a statue to the Beatles in Liverpool somewhere as a memorial for what they've done to me. What they've done to you, though, was basically to fire you as the manager, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Wait till you see the statue I'm going to build. <laughs> and so the legal battle over the release of these tapes begins. Meanwhile, in Billboard chart news, on June 23rd, the album Living in the Material World reaches number one in the U.S. charts, bumping Paul's album Red Rose Speedway down a notch. On June 28th, the day that John and Yoko take part in protest demonstrations at the South Vietnamese Embassy in Washington, D.C., John, along with Apple Films Limited and Apple Records of New York, are sued by APCO Industries for a total of $508,000, approximately 203,000 pounds. Alan Klein sues John Lennon for $200,000. Alan Klein wants Lennon in. In the courtroom, that is. The latest money matter has ABCO, the Klein company, rejecting contract renewal for John, George, and Ringo, and going so far as to slap a $200,000 lawsuit on Lennon. APCO claims that on John's behalf, they paid various persons, corporations, and government bodies a total of $126,894, which still has not been repaid. But John is too busy fighting the U.S. deportation orders to take much notice. The charge is answerable within 28 days. On June 29th, the eighth James Bond film, Live and Let Die, featuring the title track by Paul and Wings, opens in New York. Also on June 29th, If your deputy, Mr. Fielding, who worked so closely with you and who carried out some of your missions connected with the conspiracy had absolutely no knowledge of the cover-up conspiracy, how do you so blithely assume that others on the White House staff and even the President did know of the conspiracy? For two days, John and Yoko attend the Senate Watergate hearings in Washington, D.C. Well, as I say, I don't know how many other people on the White House staff knew of the conspiracy to, not my conspiracy, but the general cover-up conspiracy. I certainly know that I was getting instructions from Mr. Haldeman and Ehrlichman, and I know of my conversations with the president. Uh, I know that there were other people on the staff who were quite aware of the fact that the White House was not burying its soul in this matter. John sports a close-cropped haircut, and Yoko, inspired by the excitement of the courtroom, writes the track, Men, Men, Men. Position. 
On June 30th, George's Give Me Love, Give Me Peace on Earth reaches number one in the American singles charts. An interesting note to the James Bond family of film scoring is that John Barry, who first made such soundtracks famous with his music to Goldfinger and other Bond epics, was one of the original English rockers. Coming up, Ringo's sure of a smash with Photograph, Paul and Wings drive Helen Wheels up the charts, and John has court in country hassles. Visit yesterdayandtodaypodcast.wordpress.com or email at yesterdayandtodaypodcast at gmail.com. Also visit at yesterdaypod on Twitter and search Yesterday and Today Podcast on Facebook. See you next time.
I'm Paul Kaminsky. I'm James Kaminsky. And I'm Wayne Kaminsky. And we bring you the Kaminsky family of podcasts yesterday and today and the Third Men podcast. You might know me from one of those dumb voices I do, or my dad (laughs) from his better show than ours. (laughs) Wow. And we're here to tell you about some cool merchandise you can pick up for the show's As we mentioned in each episode, we do not in any way profit from these shows whatsoever, but to break even on some expenses, we have put up some cool merch that you can pick up to help support the show. Yes, some fun apparel, things you can put on yourself. Are we going to be selling Marks and Spence underwear? (laughs) Don't worry, we will. You can head to our social media pages. That's Facebook.com slash Yesterday and Today Podcast or Facebook.com slash Third Men. Or you could head to Society6 dot com slash Kaminsky family podcast that's society the number six dot com slash k-a-m-i-n-s-k-i family podcasts yeah keep our lights on i'm in the dark dad any words of wisdom hello the lights just went out (laughs) guys we need your help (laughs) buy stuff perhaps a coffee mug that you can enjoy a beverage out of while listening to our shows and if you haven't got yours please send forth in and get a free one all right Thank you, Dad. All right, we'll see you on the podcast, folks. Bye. It's audio. You can't see me.